And as our children leave, let us bow together and pray. Hear our prayers for our children, for all the children of the world, and for the child within each one of us who needs nurtured and cared for and matured into the wholeness of the persons you dream us to be. Speak through a sermon. Speak through a scripture. Speak through a song. Speak through a sacred place such as this one. And may there be one word that touches and connects, transforms and heals. In the name of the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. If you've taken any time to traverse through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have surely come to the observation that the stories of Jesus rising from the dead are validated only by those people who actually were with Jesus and believed Jesus, walked with him, understood him, were touched by him, and made that connection. They're the only ones who see the resurrected Jesus. Herod doesn't see Jesus resurrected. Pilate The Pharisees, the soldiers at the foot of the cross, the mockers, they didn't see Jesus. You cannot see what your eyes are unprepared to see. Eyes that aren't focused, ears that aren't attuned, lives that are so insulated and isolated that cannot feel. They need help. They need help. Their hearts, their heads are in a different zone. They're attentive to other things, things that can, they can control, things they can contain, things that will make them safe, things that will make them feel part of a tribe. And so they don't know what they don't know. They don't know that they're missing this orienting dimension of life that reframes and restores everything, which is why I think the message of Ascension Sunday is so very important. With Jesus gone, with Jesus gone, Luke and Acts tell us, you are witnesses to these things. To be a witness, to be a witness is to speak and act based on what you've seen or experienced or know to be true. You can't witness to that which you've not seen, known, or experienced to be true. And so Jesus comes into the world, and he is complete authenticity. He is a witness to this mystery of God. In his life, he goes about doing good, embodying divine love. He renames people. He reclaims people. He heals. He blesses. He stands with those who are powerless And he helps the people of faith. He invites them back into their scripture, back into the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, and invites them to see that the message he's proclaiming isn't a new message. It's the same message of a God who suffers and is vulnerable in love 
And that changes the equation. That shifts the power. It moves them from thinking of a God who's only about shame and guilt and power and punishment to a God who is on our side. A God who's always with us. A God who is around us. He shows them in the scripture. And then he shows with his own body. He enacts God's nonviolence in a world of violence. He lives out a love response in a world of evil. To the point that when he's hanging on the cross, Luke is the one who tells us that he said these words. Father, creator, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. On Ascension Sunday, the resurrected Jesus turns to his followers and says, I'm leaving physically but I'm leaving you here physically. It's now your turn. You are witnesses to these things. You are now, in the words of Paul, the body of Christ. Here we are. Where is Christ? Here we are. Our message is this. Here's what we bear witness to. That at the core of the universe, at the center of life, is this divine graciousness, this understanding and forgiveness, this opportunity to begin again. It is life itself. Our witness is this, that in Jesus we have discovered that individually and that collectively we are all, all loved valued. We all have a place. We all have a purpose. If someone seems out of place or out of purpose, it's not because there isn't a place or a purpose. It's because the world hasn't recognized, nor have they discovered their place and their purpose. If this is true, and it is true, but if it's true, then why does it need a witness? Last week we read from Acts 17 where the Apostle Paul says the sacred truths of God aren't hidden from the world. They're right here in plain sight, Paul says. So why is it missed? Why is it not seen? Many cannot see. Many cannot hear. Many cannot experience this unconditional and primal love. Many of us have a hard time keeping ourselves centered in this unconditional, primal love. Even if we were raised in good homes, for some reason, there's something about our culture or the world we live in or something in our DNA that says to us, you're not good enough. You haven't achieved enough. You're not successful enough. You don't measure up. And so how can we see, how can we hear, how can we experience this gracious life if we've not experienced it in our everyday life? My father used to say to me when I couldn't find something, he'd say, you can't see for looking. You can't see for looking. 
I think it was Sam Keen who first introduced me to the Zen koan, the description of a man riding on an ox looking for an ox. Riding on an ox looking for an ox. Looking, searching for that which is just beneath him. How could he not see? The world needs a witness. Someone who will come alongside. Someone who can model and point and invite and awaken that which is dormant or dead inside of people. So that they too can see and feel and experience and know and be healed. I don't mean to be grandiose or hyperbolic when I, I to, to say this is the hope of the world. This is the hope of the world. World leaders can gather on some global stage and make all these proclamations, but when you look at it carefully, you realize that it's coming out of what we might call an adolescent spirituality. That is a spirituality that is about competition and fear. We have a different message. And we offer it not to shame those who are still adolescent, but to invite, to pull, to say, come, let us find that which God has always intended. Back in 2006, I went, on, went to a concert at Churchill Downs. This group that some have heard of called the Rolling Stones was giving a concert there. It was a religious experience, as you can imagine. <laughs> It's amazing to watch octogenarians dance and jump around like that. My friend Jeff and I went to this concert. Churchill Downs is a massive place, and it really wasn't set up for a concert, but it was a fun venue. We were all there together, and everyone's standing because it's hard to see. And I turned for a moment and looked at the sea of people. And here's what I saw from every person. And I said to Jeff, look, look how the beat connects us. Look how the beat connects, makes, a, makes a community. And Jeff, who is one of these MacGyver people, he's like that character of MacGyver in the TV show. He can invent anything, fix anything. He flies airplanes. He, he uh, races cars. He can do anything. But Jeff said, what's a beat? What do you, what do, what do you mean by beat? I said, well, you know, the beat of the music. One, two, three. You hear it? I don't hear it, he said. You, you, you can't hear the, the, the beat. It like matches your heart. It, it just has that beat that you connect to. No, he said, I, I don't feel a beat. And for some reason, we sat down to talk about this. I'm a pastor, you know, it's just, everyone else is standing, we go down in a little cave, and I said, Jeff, you, you can't feel that? Brown sugar, I don't know what was on, honky-tonk woman, I'm like, come on, man. He's like, I, I, no, I don't, I don't feel it. So I put my leg right next to his, I'm glad we were down, no one was looking, I put my ne- leg, leg next to his, and I started tapping my foot. And he started tapping with me. I said, do you feel how that connects to the music? 
He said, yeah, I think I do. I said, that's good, good. Keep on now. And, and don't, don't just get the one and three. Don't be so white. Like, get the two and the four. <laughs> you know, get the backbeat, okay? You know. And, and I watched his eyes open as he felt it and got it. Witnesses make an introduction. We're not the beat. We point to the beat. We help others see what they can't see. We help others hear what they can't hear. We help other people feel what they cannot feel. We help others. We invite others to touch and taste something that is not quantifiable by any external kind of legalistic way but is deeply and profoundly true. And it changes everything. When you catch the beat of God, love awakens in you. You're, you're rearranged. You're, you're transformed. You're, you're what Jesus said in John 3, you're born again. You replace that need that we all seem to have, we all seem to be born with, to prove yourself, to protect yourself, to compete with others, to hoard what, what, is a, what is available, and to ensure your own safety. You replace all of that with a desire to live out of abundance, which is not the same thing as the prosperity gospel. Everybody gets as much as they want. Abundance is about there being enough for all and allowing it to go out and through you, not taking more than you need, but using it to bless and share and love and even to sacrifice. And discover, to discover in the sacrifice the mystery of resurrection, that life given is life returned. I love the quote. I used it earlier this year from Daniel Berrigan. Berrigan was a Jesuit priest who worked for peace, mainly in Central America. I recently saw this quote that I love so much because it calls to our hearts. Berrigan said, Sometime in your life, hope to see one starved person. The look on their face when the bread arrives. Hope that you might have bought the bread or baked the bread or kneaded the bread. For that look on his face, for your hands touching his across the bread, you might be willing to lose a lot or suffer a lot or die a little even. Why? Because you've heard and felt the beat of God deep within you. And you know it to be deeply and profoundly true. And you bear your witness. As we live into the gospel, as we live out of the gospel, God's dream, what Jesus referred to as the kingdom of God, God's dream comes into the totality of life. This isn't about religion and church. Religion and church 
are about life, about abundance for all the world. Now, maybe you didn't grow up with this understanding of witness. Maybe for you, witness was more formulaic, more pinched, less about life and more about getting people to show up for church. Wendell Berry uh, wrote a book some years ago that the deacons found as a copy of a book I'd, I'd never seen. The book is entitled The Hidden Wound, and it was written by Barry back when he was 30-some years old. And it's about racism. He posits this, that the reason the gospel has been reduced or truncated or kind of bastardized in, 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 our, in our culture, especially in the southern states of the United States, is because during the slave years, Preachers had to make an adaptation of the gospel. You couldn't just preach the message of Jesus, for that was all-inclusive. That was loving. That had things like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. You can't preach about that. You can't preach from 1 John. You can't, who says, you can't say you love God and ignore your sister or brother in need. So what they did was they divided earth and heaven. Life, body, and spirit. And said, we're only going to focus on the soul. We're only going to focus on heaven. So that we can talk to people about when they die, if they're good in this life, they'll go to heaven. Oh, come on. That reduced gospel is still popular. And I know many of you feel, as I do, conflicted and confused and sometimes even a little bit competitive because this truncated gospel seems to be so enormously popular. I think God would say to us, step back, breathe, bear your witness, and trust the outcome to God. Ultimately, truth finds its way to the top. We don't have to force it. We don't have to manipulate it. We just trust it. If you're from around here, you know the statue two blocks to our south at the corner of Cherokee Parkway and Cherokee Road. Big bronze statue of a man upon a horse facing the entrance to Cherokee Park. His name is John Castleman, and the sign beside him says he was a general. We learn about him and we learn more about the parks because one of our church members, Eric Burnett, wrote a book about the Olmstead Parks that's just come out called Parks for the People. In a book signing on Thursday, Eric was telling us kind of an overview of the story, how in the 1800s, Louisville, like most cities in the United States during the Industrial Revolution, were not safe places to live. The air was polluted. Coal was being burned constantly. Uh, Children were were getting sick. Trees, there were no trees that were able to live under all of this bad air and no sunlight. And so the need for parks was, was recognized. We need places where people can come out from the city and breathe fresh air and see nature again. Sounds like a beautiful plan. And John Castleman was one who 
God himself elected to the park commission. But it turns out that Castleman actually got elected to that position, not because he cared about people and their needs, but because he owned some property that he hoped would become the eastern park of this park system. One in the east, one in the west, one in the south. He wanted his land, Castlewood, to be the eastern park. It's what we today know as Tyler Park. Castleman turns out to be a self-serving opportunist. He was a racist. And his vision for parks was not about nature and calm. It was about flash and things that are human-made. Eric's book reveals that the real hero of the story is a man by the name of Andrew Cowan, largely unknown by our city, although Eric in the Courier-Journal today has an op-ed where he introduces Cowan to the community again. As for General John Castleman, well, he really wasn't even a general during the Civil War. He was something less than a colonel. He became a general after he led some no-account expedition to Puerto Rico after the war was over. The most thing they did while there was all get dysentery and come home, and he got a general's appointment as a result. So why a statue to Castleman? It's there because Castleman and his friends lobbied and paid for that statue to be placed there. And we, th- we think now, ah, I guess he got away with it. But he didn't. 130 years later, the truth pops out. Trust that when you bear your witness, that God will use it. Because the truth has a way of rising to the top. I say this not to shame John Castleman, we cannot give what we do not have. Like the Pharisees, like Pilate, like Herod, like all those soldiers, we cannot see what we cannot see. But to be awakened, to be born again, to hear the sacred beat and recognize this one who is calling for the change that will renew this world, ah, it's honest, it's natural. It is an offering of a daily change, growing, loving person that we can become. You can become. Like the young man who spoke at the Pleasure Ridge Park High School graduation this week. He said, who would have thought that a black man would be president of his graduating class? And who would have thought that a black male suspended his freshman year would be up here giving a speech today. Then he said, I'm channeling the spirit of my pastor, Dr. Kevin Cosby. We've come to know Dr. Cosby. Not just his public persona, we've come to know his heart. And Cosby would say, all I've done is be a witness to these things that God is never done that there's a place for everyone, that nothing should be lost or forgotten or thrown away. 
You see, ultimately, our witness is not what we say or preach. It's not even merely what we do. It's who we are. Who we are. So each week we come into this space and we, ground, we reground ourselves in God. We find that our worth and our place come to us as gifts from God and we begin to feel it. Do you feel it? That beat. It's a sacred beat. And it calls to each one of us, this God in whom we live and move and have our being. And so we return again to the worship that is our very lives. You are witnesses to these things. Let's pray together. May we feel the sacred beat. May we find our footing. And may we walk with confidence as we live out the witness that is our very lives as individuals and as Highland Baptist Church to your glory now and forever. Amen.